Welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. We're inspiring conversations for the unafraid. I'm Janice McDonald, founder of The Beacon Agency, author, and global champion for women. Why am I making this show? Because I want to share the inspiring stories of women leaders in business, arts and culture, politics, and more with all of you. Hear how they've chosen to go forward and be bold and make the world a better place, even when it wasn't easy to do. Subscribe now wherever you find podcasts. Hey, everybody, I'm Janice McDonald. Welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. I'm so excited to tell you all about my guest on today's show. She's a remarkable woman, and I know you're going to love hearing her story. I'll tell you all about her. But first, thank you for tuning in from across Canada and so many other countries like New Zealand, Germany, USA, UK, Australia, and Vietnam, to name a few. It's great to have all of you joining us. And I'm so glad that you love listening to the inspiring guests we feature every week. These important conversations with the unafraid keep our fearless community growing. So tell your friends and listen and follow us on Instagram. And if you don't already have a copy, pick it up. My beautiful best-selling book, Fearless Girls with Dreams, Women with Vision. Find it at your local bookstore or online at Amazon Chapters, Barnes and Nobles. You know where to look. Okay, on today's show, our guest is an incredibly successful serial entrepreneur who you can see on Dragon's Den. She's also an inspiration, a style icon, and an all-around nice person. You probably already know who I'm talking about, but I'm going to say it anyways. Welcome to the show, Michelle Romano. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. All right, let me share some, just some of the impressive details from Michelle's bio. She's a tech titan. She's an engineer, a serial entrepreneur. She started five companies before her 33rd birthday. She's the co-founder and president of ClearBank, which has invested over a billion dollars in over 3,000 e-commerce companies. Previously, she co-founded Snap Saves, which was acquired by American tech giant Groupon in 2014. She's also the co-founder of Bytopia.ca, which acquired 10 competitors, including Shop.ca and Wagjag. Here's some big news. She recently ranked on Fortune's top 40 under 40 list, and she's the only Canadian on Forbes magazine's Millennials on a mission list. She's a prolific angel investor, winner of Angel Investor of the Year Award, co-founded the Canadian Entrepreneurship Initiative with Richard Branson, no less, to encourage entrepreneurship. Whew, what a bio. I'm going to stop there. Of course, there's more awards and accolades. No surprise. Michelle, tell us this. How have you been managing through these unprecedented times? You know, I think like everyone else, this hasn't been easy. I mean, I would call myself a very strong extrovert. And so not seeing people has been hard, but I think it's been an incredible period of growth and change and mass adoption of technology during this period, right? Like e-commerce has surged and telemedicine has surged and all of these technologies that we're taking so long. And so I try and, you know, change my mindset from looking at the downside to looking at all the incredible opportunities that this changing world has uh, has given. 
Yeah, so your current role, let's talk about that. Co-founder and president of ClearBank. Tell us all about ClearBank. You're doing some very impressive stuff, including innovating all the time. Give us the scoop. Yeah. So one of the things that I discovered as an entrepreneur is that it's extremely difficult to raise money for your business. In fact, for the first 10 years of my career, no one gave me any money. Um, I became an investor only after I had sold a company and then was watching on Dragon's Den how so many founders give up such a huge percentage of their company to basically go by growth. And in today's market, growth for e-commerce companies translates into buying ads and buying inventory. And so we would see founders on the show that would come in all the time that says, look, I am you know, need 100 grand. Um, I have a great business with positive unit economics, and I'm willing to give up 20%. And I was like, that just doesn't make sense um, to do that because I'm going to be a long-term investor. You know, They're never going to get this equity back. And for the founder, it was very, very difficult. And so I said, you know, this is on the show five years ago now, I said, look, instead of me giving you $100,000 and taking 20% of your company, how about I give you $100,000 and I want 5% of your revenue until you pay me back my capital plus 6%. So hundred grand, pay back $106,000 and I'm gone. I don't own a piece of your company, but I've gotten a little bit of return on my capital. And I honestly... Candace, I never guessed it would get so big from there. I mean, we pioneered this idea of, you know, rev share agreements for startups and today have invested over a billion dollars in more than 3000 different companies, making us the largest e-commerce investor in the world and have totally changed the way that early stage and startup investing is done. In fact, you know, because the way that we invest in these companies is just using data science and AI, we've been able to take a lot of the bias out of investment decisions. So we've invested in, you know, founders in every state in America, every province in Canada versus the typical biases that you see. We've backed eight times more women than the venture capital industry average and have a far more diverse portfolio than any of our peers. I love that you're talking about how you're applying data science and AI and how incredibly different the outcomes are when you're using that as opposed to, you know, that typical. And I think about we've done a lot of research, uh, my co-author and I, Claire Becton, on women entrepreneurs in Canada. And you're absolutely right. Access to capital is such a challenge. But here you are. You know, I love the stats that you're giving. Like this is staggering amounts of money and significant number of companies that you've invested in. It's so exciting. Talk about, you know, what you think in terms of you've used the data science and you've used AI, you know, what would you like to see other companies thinking about in, in relation to that? I think data science and AI can be really powerful if you use properly. I mean, it's powerful no matter what. It can be used kind of for good things or bad things. And so, <laughs> you know, in our mind, we took the diligence process that venture capitalists had been doing for years, looking at your you know, lifetime customer value ratio to how much it costs to acquire them, those types of ratios, mm-hmm. and automating all of that diligence and placing our emphasis on that, which completely changed the way we invested in, um, in early stage companies, which really changes it. I mean, we'll give companies anywhere from $10,000 up to $10 million, so we can scale quite significantly. Um, but we think you know, it represents the fact that the investing model can be you know, totally disrupted and done in a different way. Yeah, it's incredible innovation. And obviously the kind of outcomes that you're getting, it's so powerful. So, and hey, here you are, this Canadian big thinker. It's really exciting. 
to see Thank the you. kind of consistent success you've had. It's really inspiring. Now, we first met, Michelle, when we were together on a panel featuring the Canadian designer, Grace. Now, I still love their clothes. You are mm-hmm. a recognizable style icon. Um, Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, but it's true. It's glam, glam, glam. Now, what's your advice to other women on putting their best foot forward, whether that's on TV, our current life on Zoom, and just in life in general? What what does Michelle want other women to think about? You got to choose clothes that make you super confident. And all of this has totally changed because now we're not in person with one another. Right. Um, And so I think Really for me, I mean, I spent probably the first, I don't know, eight years of my career just trying to be taken seriously. So I would dress a lot older. I would buy a lot older styles. I wouldn't take any risks. And then there was part of me where I had felt like I had established more credibility where I wanted to take more risks in fashion. And so I have lots of leather and studs and spikes and all sorts of fun things. But I think mm-hmm. ultimately it's, you know, dressing is about what makes you feel powerful. And I just you know, I, I try not to take myself too seriously. I, I don't think clothes are anything more than they are, but I do think that when you are, you know, waking up and it's a rough morning and you don't feel confident, if you can put on something that makes you feel great, it can just totally change your mindset as well. You know, on Instagram and elsewhere, you're, you're pretty consistent in reminding people to leverage their strengths. That's, that's, you talk a lot about like focus there. Can you say more about that? Cause it's such a powerful lesson. And, and message? Well, I think we do these things and employers especially do this where they say, look, you know, you've done these three things well, and you got these three weaknesses and you just should work on your weaknesses. Well, you know, I'm not sure I've ever believed that. I think mm-hmm. that the people that you see that make, you know, real disruptive change in this world have a couple of strengths that are probably, you know, really strong. And in fact, there are many strong that sometimes they become too much of a weakness, but focusing on developing some superpowers to me has always been more powerful than trying to get rid of every single weakness and being humble and, you know, human about explaining that you're not good at everything and not pretending you're good at everything. That's been just so much more powerful to me to kind of double down on your strengths and spend a lot of time dwelling on your weaknesses. Beautiful. What about speaking up? How did you learn to use your voice? I mean, you've certainly, you know, had so much tremendous success in business um, and at a young age. How, what's your advice to others? What, what can we learn from how Michelle has confidently speaking up? You know, I think when you are given a platform, it's important you just share and do the right thing because it's like your obligation, right? Like at the beginning of Mm -hmm. COVID, people are like, why are you sharing all these stats and everything? And I'm like, because like I was given a platform and a voice. And so I think when it can be used for the benefit of public health, that was the right thing to be doing. And, you know, the thing to remember is to be kind. People never quite get it right. I'm really worried about this movement we're in around cancel culture and, you know, thinking that people cannot change. We all, people need to to grow and work through ideas. And now that we're doing it publicly, I actually think that's more important than ever to bring people along people's journey with you. But it's really, really hard to do that. And so I think, you know, I would just start by experimenting and start by, you know, for everyone out there, it's like building your own profile and experimenting with work. Some of the most 
unconventional posts have performed the best. And so, <laughs> you know, sometimes you think that it's all permanent. Well, no, there's lots of things that you can delete if you don't like them, or you can take down, or you can do something. And, you know, I would probably think twice about posting something that's incredibly controversial, but you should be trying a lot of different things, you know, to see if you can get some success. I love that. That's, that takes away, you know, that feeling of, I can't make a mistake. And yet at the same time, to your point, we're talking about cancel culture, which does make people feel like I don't want to make a mistake. It's, it is a scary time in some senses. I think if we do not allow people to grow, it is okay to point out that you don't agree with them on a specific topic. I don't think it's okay to tell them that they shouldn't ever work again a day in their life, unless something they did was was truly horrific. And I think that is where this is starting to really change. Mm-hmm. So what about this idea? I'll, I'll give you a quote from the actor, Amy Poehler. She once said, I love bossy women. I could be around them all day. To me, bossy is not a pejorative term at all. It means somebody's passionate and engaged and ambitious and doesn't mind leading. I think you're all of those things, passionate, engaged, ambitious, and certainly a, a recognized leader. But how do you handle criticism, Michelle? What's, what's advice that you have for people listening? So this is a big question because there's lots of different types of feedback you get yes. as a founder and as a public leader. So there's a category of feedback that you need to pretty much disregard. And so this is kind of the, the naysayers on social media, the trolls, the people that are just out there to be cruel and mean that will tell you you've gained 10 pounds or something like that. Like you just, you have to get over the fact that some of that you need to ignore. And there's so much keyboard courage, I would say, which is just people writing mean things, which is hard. Yeah. I mean, remember, trolls are called trolls for a reason, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> and so, well uh, mm-hmm. so that's kind of the first bucket of feedback that I think we all need to look at. And sometimes I think, you know, people just need to log off and not deal with that. I think the second bucket of feedback is getting very real feedback from the team that you work with that knows you really well. And so having some formal processes around soliciting 360 feedback, really understanding what you're doing well and what you're not doing well as a leader is the only way you get better. And as you get more powerful, it becomes scarier and scarier for people to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes exceptionally important that you surround yourself with a couple of people who can be very honest with you, who can keep your ego in check and who can really give you the feedback when you need it. And so it's really this like bucketed approach where, you know, please don't take advice from people that just want to hurt you on the internet, but you actually have to go out of your way to get really good advice from your closest relationships. And some of those will be friends. A lot of those will be colleagues and then try and integrating into what you do. And then my final thing about feedback is, you know, I, I think that this is one thing I've always said. It's like, I have never understood people that take advice from people that they don't want to be. Um, There's advice is a dime a dozen out there. And so you Mm -hmm. should be looking at who's giving you the advice and being like, is this where I want to be in five or 10 years from now? And then those should be the people that you're taking their advice seriously, because a lot of people get into this habit, especially women sometimes, where everyone that gives them feedback, they take as, you know, valid and something worth considering. Um, you really have to bucket the people that you you trust and respect and want to work with and aspire to be better to, and then take their feedback very, very seriously. Love that. So practical, so helpful. Thank you for that, Michelle. What about for you? What's the best or some or one piece of advice that's, you know, really 
been helpful to you in your career or in life? My best piece of advice for founders is to just start now. I get so many pitches from people who are like, I've been thinking about it. I've been researching it. It's been, you know, a year or two or five or 10. (laughs) And the Mm -hmm. world changes incredibly quickly and you will never be ready to, to build a business. But it's only actually by starting that you start the process of iteration, of trying things, of seeing if customers like things that will actually allow you to build something powerful. And so that's scary, but the advice is, you know, to jump off the diving board, and then you will figure out very quickly that you will that you will <laughs> swim and you will not sink. So that's so true. Just dive in, Dragons Den. You hear pitches all the time, and certainly, you know, with ClearBank, you're hearing it. You you've had personally so much considerable success as an entrepreneur. What, in your view, makes a compelling pitch? What are the elements? Without giving a whole you know course on pitching, but what are you looking for, Michelle? Yeah, I think you're the first thing, and this is an equity style pitch, mm-hmm. looking for an incredible founder with a story where you understand why they are going to be one of the only people on the planet to build this business successfully. And so painting the picture of why this business matters to you, why you will be good at it, why you'll be good at it, despite competition out there is really important. And so making that thoughtful and memorable and concise is is really important. So sharing your story and your founder story. I think the second thing after that is really knowing your numbers. And you see this on the show all the time. Lots of great ideas get tripped up because they can't remember a number or do the ratios correctly or figure out, you know, evaluation that's fair. So knowing numbers, I think, is just a part of the role. And, you know, even if you're rounding, you should be able to mentally keep track of what's core in your business. And then the third thing I actually think is is a totally different piece of advice, which is to remember that when you pitch this is, it's like a sales pitch, like any others, even if you're going for investment and you will need to do a hundred pitches to get 10 people really interested, to get five term sheets, to get one great deal to close. Like this is a process where you just have to continue to work very, very hard when you fundraise. And I've, I've had to do this myself. I mean, we've raised more than $400 million for ClearBank now, and it's, it's a process every single time and it's grueling. And that's just a part of it. So take us back. 10-year-old Michelle, where'd you live? What were you into? Were you already, you know, calculating ratios then? Were you already <laughs> selling stuff? What were you like at 10, Michelle? At 10 years old? Wow. I think you should ask my parents. They would remember better than me. <laughs> you know, I think as a kid, I remember being pretty ambitious and I don't, I don't really know why. Like I remember at one point in grade seven thinking like, I wanted to write not the best book report the teacher had seen this year, but the best book report the teacher had seen in their entire career. Like I have no idea, but I spent a lot of time um, working at perfection, which ironically I had to unlearn as I became an entrepreneur. Because one of the things that people don't appreciate about academia is that it's not a good baseline for entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Our our education system, this idea that 100% is better than 80%, is better than 60%, is better than 30%. And, you know, they focus on details and title pages and minutiae. And that's really important when you want to do like scientific research and things that are in that category. But when you want to build something creative and innovative and be an entrepreneur, what you actually have to do is you have to release products at about 65% but at three times the speed as anyone else. And you have to iterate really, really quickly to get something 
incredible out there. And it's one of the reasons where educational institutions have such a hard time teaching entrepreneurship. So I don't know, that was me at 10. I was, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't take a lot of risks. I didn't get into a lot of trouble as a kid. I had to learn that uh, way later in life. <laughs> and I had great parents that, you know, encouraged me to, to do whatever I wanted. And they really fostered kind of that, that sense of ambition and that um, I could do anything I wanted in the world. Love that having great parents, and you're such a inspiring person. You, you we're talking about your grade seven book report. Uh, do you remember the book? God, no, no. Is there is no. there a book? That, no, but is there a book that is meaningful to you, or something you've read recently that you're telling everybody to read? Do you find time to read? Are you reading on on your phone on on tech? Are you a paper person? What what are books like in your life? Yeah, you know, I struggled for years to find enough time to read. And then I discovered Audible and the mm. ability to do audiobooks at 2x the speed. And I listened to a ton of books. And I listened to them before bed. I listened to them in Ubers. And when we used to fly, I would do a ton of it on airplanes. But I think that's a really powerful way. Figuring out the medium for you. I certainly have read some books, but I find that I can I can get more uh, through more books with Audible. Um, and I like, I mean, if I was to give you like a set of business books that are essential, yeah. I think that, you know, Influenced by Robert Cialdini is the best mm-hmm. sales book that's ever been written. Um, Never Split the Difference uh, by Chris mm-hmm. Voss is the best negotiation book. Um, and then I love the stories of founders because when you read them, especially when you read the versions where the founder doesn't care about, you know, they're, they're really willing to tell the truth. You realize that even the most successful companies of the world at many points in their history almost didn't make it. And so it should make you so much more comfortable as a founder in the fact that things are going to change and shift and not go perfectly, you know, the time they're building. So I love the stories. I mean, the, the Steve Jobs book was amazing. The, mm-hmm. you know, Nike book was great. Um, the story about how McDonald's was built, like those are really, they're really good. And I love reading stories like that. On a totally different tangent, one of my favorite books that's non-business related was the book Educated by Tara Westover. Mm. Um, I read that one as a paperback and it was just, it was such an incredible read of a woman that came from a family that didn't believe in um, technology or science and how she grew up. It was incredible. Another gem of advice coming. We got lists and lists from you. This is amazing. Some practical business books and also some uh, additional inspiration. So, what about Michelle, a time you were fearless? A time I was fearless. Oh, I mean, I feel like my whole life, I kind of am like <laughs> still jumping off the diving board, hoping there's water in the pool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What comes to mind when you think of it? I think it's less about fearlessness and more about like the grit and the grind that happens. Because this mm. isn't like one moment where you're like, I'm just going to launch it and it's going to be fine. Yeah, that's scary. And that's like a fearless moment. But it's actually the subsequent six months that comes after that where every day you're trying to improve this product that isn't working in the market. And you're trying to figure out what's going to work. And you're just relentless at doing this. And I mean, as a founder, I've had months, like six month periods where things were just going terribly. And it was like, everything was going to fall apart and I wouldn't be able to pay people. And these whole companies were going to crash. And I think that's really where like the rubber hits the road. It's like, how much of that can you sustain? And can you you know, go back tomorrow with just as much energy. And, you know, I heard this great line from a Marine, but I've never forgotten. And he goes, you know, just when you think you have nothing left, like nothing, like you cannot run another mile, you cannot go anywhere else. 
mm-hmm. you actually have 40% more left. Mm. And it's never, I've never forgotten that because I, you really do get to these moments where it just feels so hard. Like it feels like nothing is going your way. And every single one of those times, I just tell myself like one more day, one more day, one more day. The longest I've gone saying one more day is six months. So you can make a long time on buying yourself the time. That's a lot of days. <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was really tough. I mean, before Groupon bought our company, it was a really tough period uh, for me. And then the deal and the acquisition got done. And it was like, that was, you know, a life-changing event. And then I got to start rebuilding again. And trust me, as we built ClearBank, this has not been a straight-lined journey. Um, and so I would, instead of thinking about a moment you need to be fearless, I would think about how you need to have just an enormous amount of resilience and grit over a long period of time. And that's what really creates prolonged success. So speaking of success, how do you, Michelle, define it? I think, you know, success is a little bit different for everyone else and you've got to be true to your own colors. I think that, you know, I care really deeply about founders and making their lives easier and better. I saw that there was this, you know, huge gap in how founders got access to capital. And that was really the majority of the reasons why a lot of these businesses can scale. And so wanted to build a business outside that. And so for me, like I get to do work. I love every day. People are like, if you weren't running clear bank, what would you do? And I'm like, I'd restart it. (laughs) I, I love doing, and it's, it's really genuine. It's not, it's not like a PR line or something. It's actually like, I love the mission. And then the second part of what is successful and what creates success and happiness is doing it with that, with people you love and you care about. And so, you know, my business partners and my co-founders have always been the absolute closest friends in my life. You know, Andrew is my life partner that I work with on ClearBank as well. And spending like time solving meaningful problems with people you really care about. Like, I don't, I don't think it gets much better than that. (laughs) And so I think that that becomes a big benchmark for my success. And then looking at making sure you have enough, you know, time off and time to breathe, you know, throughout a year is I think probably the last piece, because this is a career that just requires an enormous amount of hard work. There's no, there's no like alternative ways about it. It's just, it's part of, it's part of the package when you become an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And you have to mandate it, right? You actually have to put it in the schedule and honor it because founder burnout is, is a real thing too. Of course. Yeah. So final question, Michelle, what's your dream for Canada? My dream for Canada is that we can continue to build a much stronger innovation economy here. We have a big country with a lot of resources and those resources provided us with a lot. And it's hard because that often doesn't translate into the, you know, we have really socialized medicine and we have great education largely because we had a ton of resources in this country that allowed us basically the capital to do that. And as those resources start to deplete, as we need to change those industries for both environmental needs and many, many other things, we need to have companies that give us the basis um, to continue to do this in our country. And here's the thing about technology companies is they become winner take all. If you look at the power of like the FANG stocks, right? Like Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Google, um, Microsoft, you can see that these companies instantaneously become global. And so it really is my dream that Canada builds some of those. We've done such a better job in creating uh, much larger tech companies, but still need to continue to grow and work on that. That is a inspiring and 
beautiful dream for Canada. It is no surprise that Michelle Romano has all the accolades, all the awards, and is such an impressive and remarkable Canadian. I'm so grateful to have had you on the show. Thank you so much, Michelle Romano, for joining us today on the Fearless Women podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. We want our community to grow. Tell your friends, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for our newsletter at fearlesswomenpodcast.com to get the early scoop. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors, BDC, Lockheed Martin, and Export Development Canada. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite app. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. I'm Janice McDonald. Stay fearless. Thank you to Export Development Canada, the international risk experts, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. Supporting Canadian companies of all sizes succeed on the world stage. EDC takes your worries away and helps you grow your business with confidence. When your business has no borders, neither does your potential. Find out more at edc.ca slash women in trade. Thank you to BDC, the bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. We love smart companies that want to amplify women's voices. For more information, go to bdc.ca slash women.